Chapter Four of Joshua by George Ebers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. The house of Hornet, like nearly every other dwelling in the city, was the scene of the deepest mourning. The men had shaved their hair, and the women had put dust on their foreheads. The archer's wife had died long before, but his daughter and her women received him with waving veils and loud lamentations for the astrologer, his brother-in-law, had lost both his firstborn son and his grandson, and the plague had snatched its victims from the homes of many a friend. But the senseless youth soon demanded all the care the women could bestow, and after bathing him and binding the healing ointment on the dangerous wound in his head, strong wine and food were placed before him, after which, refreshed and strengthened, he obeyed the summons of the daughter of his host. The dust-covered, worn-out fellow was transformed into a handsome youth. His perfumed hair fell in long curling locks from beneath the fresh white bandage, and gold-bordered Egyptian robes from the wardrobe of Kasana's dead husband covered his pliant bronzed limbs. He seemed pleased with the finery of his garments, which exhaled a subtle odor of spikenard new to his senses, for the eyes in his handsome face sparkled brilliantly. It was many a day since the captain's daughter, herself a woman of unusual beauty and charm, had seen a handsomer youth. Within the year she had married a man she did not love, Kasana had returned a widow to her father's house, which lacked a mistress, and the great wealth bequeathed to her, at her husband's death, made it possible for her to bring into the soldier's unpretending home the luxury and ease which to her had now become a second nature. Her father, a stern man, prone to sudden fits of passion, now yielded absolutely to her will. Formerly he had pitilessly enforced his own, compelling the girl of fifteen to wed a man many years her senior. This had been done because he perceived that Kasana had given her young heart to Hosea, the soldier, and he deemed it beneath his dignity to receive the Hebrew, who at that time held no prominent position in the army, as his son-in-law. An Egyptian girl had no choice save to accept the husband chosen by her father, and Kasana submitted, though she shed so many bitter tears, that the archer rejoiced when, in obedience to his will, she had wedded an unloved husband. But even as a widow, Kasana's heart clung to the Hebrew. When the army was in the field, her anxiety was ceaseless. Day and night were spent in restlessness and watching. When news came from the troops, she asked only about Hosea, and her father, with deep annoyance, attributed to her love for the Hebrew, her rejection of suitor after suitor. As a widow, she had a right to the bestowal of her own hand, and the tender, gentle-natured woman astonished Hornecht by the resolute decision displayed, not alone to him and lovers of her own rank, but to Prince Sipta, whose cause the captain had espoused as his own. Today, Kasana expressed her delight at the Hebrew's return, with such entire frankness and absence of reserve, that the quick-tempered man rushed out of the house, lest he might be tempted into some thoughtless act or word. His young guest was left to the care of his daughter and her nurse. How deeply the lad's sensitive nature was impressed by the airy rooms, the open verandas supported by many pillars, the brilliant hues of the painting, the artistic household utensils, the soft cushions, and the sweet perfume everywhere. All these things were novel and strange to the son of a herdsman, who had always lived within the gray walls of a spacious, but absolutely plain abode, and spent months together in canvas tents, 
among shepherds and flocks, nay, was more accustomed to be in the open air than under any shelter. He felt as though some wizard had borne him into a higher and more beautiful world, where he was entirely at home in his magnificent garb, with his perfumed curls and limbs fresh from the bath. True, the whole earth was fair, even out in the pastures among the flocks or round the fire in front of the tent, in the cool of the evening, when the shepherds sang, the hunters told tales of daring exploits, and the stars sparkled brightly overhead. But all these pleasures were preceded by weary, hateful labor. Here it was a delight merely to see and to breathe, and, when the curtains parted and the young widow, giving him a friendly greeting, made him sit down opposite to her, sometimes questioning him and sometimes listening with earnest sympathy to his replies, he almost imagined his senses had failed him as they had done under the ruins of the fallen house, and he was enjoying the sweetest of dreams. The feeling that threatened to stifle him and frequently interrupted the flow of words was the rapture bestowed upon him by the great Ashkara, the companion of Baal, of whom the Phoenician traders, who supplied the shepherds with many good things, had told him such marvels, and whom the stern Miriam forbade him ever to name at home. His family had instilled into his young heart hatred of the Egyptians as the oppressors of his race. But could they be so wicked? Could he detest a people among whom were creatures like this lovely gentlewoman, who gazed into his eyes so softly, so tenderly, whose voice fell on his ear like harmonious music, and whose glance made his blood course so swiftly, that he could scarce endure it, and pressed his hand upon his heart, to quiet its wild pulsation. Kasana sat opposite to him on a seat covered with a panther skin, drawing the fine wool from the distaff. He had pleased her, and she had received him kindly, because he was related to the man whom she had loved from childhood. She imagined that she could trace a resemblance between him and Hosea, though the youth lacked the grave earnestness of the man, to whom she had yielded her young heart. She knew not why nor when, though he had never sought her love. A lotus blossom rested among her dark waving curls, and its stem fell in a graceful curve on her bent neck, round which clustered a mass of soft locks. When she lifted her eyes to his, he felt as if two springs had opened, to pour floods of bliss into his young breast, and he had already clasped in greeting the dainty hand which held the yarn. She now questioned him about Hosea and the woman who had sent the message, whether she was young and fair, and whether any tie of love bound her to his uncle. Ephraim laughed merrily, she who had sent him was so grave and earnest that the bare thought of her being capable of any tender emotion awakened his mirth as to his beauty he had never asked himself the question the young widow interpreted the laugh as the reply she most desired and much relieved laid aside the spindle and invited ephraim to go into the garden how fragrant and full of bloom it was how well kept were the beds the paths the arbors and the pond his unpretending home adjoined a dreary yard, wholly unadorned and filled with pens for sheep and cattle, yet he knew that at some future day he would be owner of great possessions, for he was the sole child and heir of a wealthy father, and his mother was the daughter of the rich nun. The men's servants had told him this more than once, and it angered him to see his own home was scarcely better than Hornet's slave quarters, to which Kasana had called his attention. During their stroll through the garden, Ephraim was asked to call the flowers, and, when the basket he carried was filled, 
she invited him to sit with her in a bower and aid her to twine the wreaths these were intended for the dear departed her uncle and a beloved cousin who bore some resemblance to ephraim had been snatched away the night before by the plague which his people had brought upon tanis from the street which adjoined the garden wall they heard the wails of women lamenting the dead or bearing a corpse to the tomb once when the cries of woe rose more loudly and clearly than ever kasana gently reproached him for all that the people of tanis had suffered through the hebrews and asked if he could deny that the egyptians had good reason to hate a race which had brought such anguish upon them it was hard for ephraim to find a fitting answer he was told that the god of his race had punished the egyptians to rescue his own people from shame and bondage and he could neither condemn nor scorn the men of his own blood so he kept silence that he might neither speak falsely nor blaspheme but kasana allowed him no peace and he at last replied that aught which caused her sorrow was grief to him but his people had no power over life and health and when a hebrew was ill he often sent for an egyptian physician what had occurred was doubtless the will of the great god of his fathers whose power far surpassed the might of any other deity he himself was a hebrew yet she would surely believe his assurance that he was guiltless of the plague and would gladly recall her uncle and cousin to life had he the power to do so for her sake he would undertake the most difficult enterprise she smiled kindly and replied my poor boy if i see any guilt in you it is only that you are one of a race which knows no ruth no patience our beloved hapless dead they must even lose the lamentations of their kindred for the house where they rest is plague-stricken and no one is permitted to enter she silently wiped her eyes and went on arranging her garlands but tear after tear coursed down her cheeks ephraim knew not what to say and mutely handed her the leaves and blossoms whenever his hand touched hers a thrill ran through his veins his head and the wound began to ache and he sometimes felt a slight chill he knew that the fever was increasing as it had done once before when he nearly lost his life in the red disease but he was ashamed to own it and bravely battled against his pain when the sun was nearing the horizon hornecht entered the garden he had already seen hosea and though heartily glad to greet his old friend once more it had vexed him that the soldier's first inquiry was for his daughter he did not withhold this from the young widow but his flashing eyes betrayed the displeasure with which he delivered the hebrew's message then turning to ephraim he told him that hosea and his men would encamp outside the city pitching their tents on account of the pestilence between tanis and the sea they would soon march by his uncle sent ephraim word that he must seek him in his tent when he noticed that the youth was aiding his daughter to weave garlands he smiled and said only this morning this young fellow declared his intention of remaining free and a ruler all his life now he has taken service with you kasana you need not blush young friend if either your mistress or your uncle can persuade you to join us and embrace the noblest trade that of the soldier so much the better for you look at me i've wielded the bow more than forty years and still rejoice in my profession i must obey it is true but it is also a privilege to command and the thousands who obey me are not sheep and cattle but brave men consider the matter again he would make a splendid leader of the archers what say you kasana certainly replied the young widow 
and she was about to say more but the regular tramp of approaching troops was heard over the other side of the garden wall a slight flush crimsoned kasana's cheeks her eyes sparkled with a light that startled ephraim and regardless of her father or her guest she darted past the pond across paths and flower beds to a grassy bank beside the wall whence she gazed eagerly toward the road and the armed host which soon marched by hosea in full armor headed his men as he passed horneck's garden he turned his grave head and seeing kasana lowered his battle-axe in friendly salutation ephraim had followed the captain of the archers who pointed out the youth's uncle saying shining armor would become you also and when drums are beating pipes squeaking shrilly and banners waving a man marches as lightly as if he had wings to-day the martial music is hushed by the terrible woe brought upon us by that hebrew villain true hosea is one of his race yet though i cannot forget that fact i must admit that he is a genuine soldier a model for the rising generation tell him what i think of him on this score now bid farewell to kasana quickly and follow the men the little side door in the wall is open he turned towards the house as he spoke and Ephraim held out his hand to bid the young widow farewell. She clasped it, but hurriedly withdrew her own, exclaiming anxiously, How burning hot your hand is! You have a fever! No, no, faltered the youth, but even while speaking he fell upon his knees, and the veil of unconsciousness descended upon the sufferer's soul, which had been the prey of so many conflicting emotions. Kasana was alarmed, but speedily regained her composure and began to cool his brow and head by bathing them with water from the neighboring pond yes in his boyhood the man she loved must have resembled this youth her heart throbbed more quickly and while supporting his head in her hands she gently kissed him she supposed him to be unconscious but the refreshing water had already dispelled the brief swoon and he felt the caress with a thrill of rapture but he kept his eyes closed and would gladly have lain for a lifetime with his head pillowed on her breast, in the hope that her lips might once more meet his. But instead of kissing him a second time, she called loudly for aid. He raised himself, gave one wild ardent look into her face, and, ere she could stay him, rushed like a strong man to the garden gate, flung it open, and followed the troops. He soon overtook the rear ranks, passing on in advance of the others, and at last reached their leader's side and, calling his uncle by name, gave his own. Hosea, in his joy and astonishment, held out his arms, but ere Ephraim could fall upon his breast, he again lost consciousness, and the stalwart soldiers bore the senseless lad into the tent the quartermaster had already pitched on a dune by the sea. End of chapter 4